and welcome to another edition of Bagoons Barrage, the State of New England podcast. With me, your host as always, Jake Donnelly, a.k.a. The Bagoon. Well, the snowpocalypse is apparently coming overnight. Uh, but before we talk about any of the weather, which is not really one of my favorite subjects, and before we get to the way that the Boston Bruins are playing, pulling out a victory in a very un-Boston Bruins-like manner, and even before we talk about the Boston Celtics with their bounce-back victory over the imploding Chicago Bulls, we'll get to a subject that has really taken the headline of everything, the headlines of everything in New England. That, of course, is the New England Patriots offseason. Now, normally, when it comes to offseason activities, uh, there are none. <laughs> for the Patriots and Bill Belichick. But the hooded one has opened up the pocketbook, and he is making everybody happy with the exception of Malcolm Butler. And we might even see Donta Hightower make his way back to New England. And if that is the case, this defense for the Patriots will be even better than last year when, remember, of course, they were the top-scoring defense in the NFL. But this is an offseason unlike any other for Bill Belichick, and it has all of the pundits asking what in the world is going on. And I think the answer can be found in the 1992 movie Unforgiven, the Clint Eastwood flick where he plays the retired gunslinger William Money. And that's the movie where everybody at the end, they tend to quote William Money, they quote this movie because he obliterates everybody on his revenge tour. They kill and they is actually Little Bill, who's played by Gene Hackman, and they kill Ned, who is William Money's best friend. Ned is played by Morgan Freeman. I mean, it's not much of a stretch to try to figure out how in the world that this picture won an Oscar for Best Picture, but it did. And the revenge tour of William Money, it just goes on and on, and he takes down everybody. Everybody that has ever wronged him, by the end of that movie, they are dead. You do not want to get in the way of William Money. Well, Bill Belichick is William Money. Last season, Roger Goodell and the NFL wanted to take down Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and the Patriots. The problem is, when you take a shot at somebody like the Patriots, you better hope you do not miss. What ended up happening? Mm-mm. They just clipped him. They they completely missed center mass. They didn't get two in the forehead, two in the chest, nothing like that. There was no double tap. They got the Patriots with tis but a flesh wound on the shoulder, and the Patriots came back, and they won the Super Bowl. Of course, I'm talking about Deflategate, but the problem here is last season, everybody's saying that was the revenge tour for the Patriots. That was their response to Deflategate. Mm, no, mm-mm. This offseason, with Bill Belichick signing Stephon Gilmore, getting Coney Ely, and really revamping this defense, which was already so good, this offseason right now is Bill Belichick's response. He also gets Brandon Cooks, one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, a guy that will be a top five wide receiver over the next couple of years. He got him for a first round pick for the 32nd pick in the NFL draft. That is amazing value for the Patriots. So you take a defense that was tops in the league in scoring and you improve upon it. You take an offense last year that did not have Rob Gronkowski for half of it 
and to not have a player like Brandon Cooks, and you add a healthy Rob Gronkowski, the most versatile weapon in the NFL, and you add a Brandon Cooks, which adds yet another level to the offense. And oh yeah, latest report just a couple of hours ago, Adrian Peterson finished his discussion with the Seattle Seahawks, finished his visit there, and what is he doing? Oh my goodness, the agent for Adrian Peterson is now talking to the Patriots. This offseason is Bill Belichick's William Money moment. It's money, by the way, M-U-N-N-Y, but with the way that Bill Belichick is going about doing everything, it might as well be William Money, M-O-N-E-Y, with capital letters in that last name. Bill Belichick, he is an NFL historian. This is a guy that is well aware of his place in the NFL. He knows that he is going to go down as the best coach of all time. There is one thing, though, that he has tried to do and got ever so close. By that, I mean the 2007 season where the Patriots had the perfect record. They went 16-0 and in the regular season. They made it to the Super Bowl against the Giants, the biggest upset of all time. The Giants prevailing in the Super Bowl that shall not be named. The Patriots in a Sante Samuel drop away from completing that, per- uh, that perfect season. Belichick was that close, tantalizingly close. He couldn't get it. I think he's been waiting for 10 years in the draft, sending away his second rounders, sending away his third rounders, continuously piling these draft picks, just kind of hoarding them like smog in his castle of gold from The Hobbit. And all of a sudden, now the floodgates are open. This is a team that went 14-2 and last season. 14-2 and last season. Tom Brady only played 12 of those games. They lost one game when their third string backup quarterback started with a torn thumb ligament on his throwing hand. And the only other game they lost was against the Seattle Seahawks where Rob Gronkowski was playing with apparently a perforated spleen. Was that what it ended up being? Whatever. There were about 80 different reports as to what Gronkowski was hurt with. And despite playing with that injury throughout the game, he was the guy that Brady went to at the very end of the game, got completely interfered with, no call, because Roger Goodell hates the Patriots. Okay? We know this. Roger Goodell suspended Tom Brady without any scientific evidence or proof of any kind. Any kind. Anybody who is an actual scientist, not Bill Nye, get the hell out of here. You were just a guy that was given a Saturday morning TV show because you won a stand-up competition. Not because you were a scientist. No, 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 no. You don't know and wouldn't know what the ideal gas law was if somebody tattooed it in reverse on your forehead so that every single morning when you woke up and looked in the mirror, it would be right there, legible from left to right. You still wouldn't know what in the world the ideal gas law was. So without any proof, Roger Goodell suspends Tom Brady for four games. We now know that Brady more than likely would have taken that case to the Supreme Court if it was not for his mom, clearly, as we saw in the Super Bowl, had some form of cancer, was wearing the bandana. Brady decided to quit on it, and it was one of the best decisions ever because he got a vacation for four weeks and put in one of his best seasons of all time, and that's saying something. 
I'm going to go out on this very sturdy oak limb and say a 14-to-1 touchdown-to-interception ratio, which in reality was 28-to-2, I'm going to say that's a pretty good season. Yeah, when you're turning 40 years old, anybody would take that at any age. But Tom Brady, like a fine bottle of wine, is getting better as he ages. Now, that brings us back to the first point. Why is Bill Belichick all of a sudden opening up his pocketbook and coming up with these ways to improve upon a Patriots team that won the Super Bowl last season. It's because, in my opinion, Bill Belichick wants 19-0. and He was so close in 2007. It is the 10-year anniversary of the perfect regular season that he now cannot stand to talk about, but it's 10 years since 2007. And I do not think that it is a coincidence at all, at all, that the Patriots have just pulled everything together and have assembled what really at this moment looks like not just a Super Bowl team, but what could be one of the best teams of all time. They are better today, right now in the offseason, than they were last year. And remember, that was a team that won the Super Bowl. So this is an improved team. The team that won the Super Bowl is now better right now than it was at this time last year. And more than anything else, especially offensively, the Patriots are going to get a healthy Rob Gronkowski barring any setbacks. And that is a big bar, <laughs> like the longest bar in the world. But barring any setbacks, they will get a healthy Rob Gronkowski It looks like the rest of the wide receivers, it's going to be Edelman. It is going to be Malcolm Mitchell. It is going to be Chris Hogan. You've got Brandon Cooks. And you've got Deion Lewis and James White. And it really, from everything that's gone on in the uh, the NFL offseason, there's a chance that Danny Amendola comes back. And uh, still, nobody has picked up uh, Michael Floyd. So you have this phenomenal, phenomenal wide receiving core for Tom Brady, a backfield that looks tremendous already with James White and Deion Lewis. It could be Rex Burkhead as the third guy. It could be LeGarrette Blunt coming back as the third guy. Heck, the earlier report, as I mentioned, it could be Adrian Peterson on a veteran discount because he wants a ring and he wants to get one last big payday. You don't get the big payday going into the season and year that you play with the Patriots. You get the big payday by showing everybody that you can play by playing for the Patriots. And that defensively, you have Stephon Gilmore across the field from Malcolm Butler. So unless somebody comes in with a godfather offer for Malcolm Butler and is willing to give up their first-round pick, the Patriots can still match that offer. And if they don't, they get the first-round pick. If they do, then Malcolm Mitchell has to play. If nobody gives Malcolm Butler, I think I just said Mitchell, but if nobody gives Malcolm Butler that godfather offer, then Malcolm Butler has two options. Play under the first round tender or don't play at all. Those are your only options. So the Patriots are either getting a first rounder or they're getting Stephon Gilmore across the field from Malcolm Butler with Deron Harmon, Patrick Chung, and most importantly, Devin McCourty in the defensive backfield. It looks like Hightower might come back at middle linebacker. Allen Branch is back. Coney Ely, he's over there at the end, along with Trey Flowers. This team right now for the Patriots 
is so good with the way that Bill Belichick, the GM, has set everything up. And that's because Bill Belichick, the GM, wants to help out Bill Belichick, the head coach, more this season than any other year. He wants that perfection because the only other coach that has ever in the history of the NFL come up with a perfect season is Don Shula. And every time that Don Shula opens up his mouth about the New England Patriots, it is in a derogatory manner. He never has anything good to say about Bill Belichick. And when he does, it is in an underhanded manner. Belichick knows that. Belichick is one of those guys that uses every perceived slight during the regular season to get his team going. You want to know why he's so good at doing that and prepping his team? It's because he honestly feels every single one of those slights the same way that his starting quarterback throughout his entire tenure, with the exception of year number one and 2008, with those two years as the only exceptions, that is why they are so good at picking up every perceived slight. Bill Belichick, he hates it when everybody thinks he can't do something. Tom Brady hates it when people tell him, no, this isn't something that you can achieve. So the two of them come together, and they decide, hmm, we're going to do everything we want. Bill Belichick wants 19-0. He wants it this season. He is putting all of his chips into the middle of the table and telling the rest of the NFL, bring it. You took a shot at me. You missed. Now I am coming for every single one of you SOBs. If you've never seen Unforgiven, watch the last two scenes. You can go to YouTube. You can check out on the website, jakedonnelly.com. It's the newest post right there. You can watch both of the videos. Look at the way and hear the words coming out of Clint Eastwood's character's mouth, William Money's mouth. If that is not a perfect analogy for what is going on right now with Bill Belichick and the Patriots this offseason, I don't know what is. The final words from William Money and Clint Eastwood's characters, I'm coming out. Any man I see out there, I'm going to kill him. Any SOB takes a shot at me, I'm not going to kill him. I'm going to kill his wife and all of his friends and burn his house down. Right now, Bill Belichick, he hasn't torched any houses yet, but he's standing outside of about 31 other stadiums with a huge can of gasoline and a handful of matches. And he has got a big old grin on his mouth, and he is rubbing his hands together, waiting until the start of the NFL season because there are some houses that are going to get burned down this year, and the stadiums of 31 other NFL teams are going to go up in smoke as the Patriots go on their journey to try to grab that perfect season, something the Patriots came so close to 10 years ago and something that Bill Belichick is setting up this team for here in the 2016-2017 season with what is might go down as the best offseason in the history of the NFL, setting up the best season in the history of the NFL. Okay, got a little bit into that one, but honestly, <laughs> that's how excited I am with the Patriots offseason, I think Bill Belichick is going to do his own version of General Sherman's march to the seashore there. And if you ask anybody from Atlanta what that is, they will tell you it did not end up well for the citizens of Atlanta there in the Civil War. All right. So the Patriots doing their thing in a way that they have never done so before. And that gives us a pretty good lead into the Boston Bruins, who last time 
they took the ice at TD Bank North Garden. It was a 2-1 victory, but it was the way they pulled out that victory that really surprised me. They played a good game. They did. But they were just having all sorts of trouble coming up with goals. And at home under Bruce Cassidy, they had been so good. They were almost unstoppable. And yet, in this game, a matinee game, and those are always weird. Matinee games, it seems like sometimes guys, maybe they were out the night before. I don't know. You know, if you... um. I've ever listened to Spittin' Chicklets, the Barstool podcast. They had, I think it was Ryan Whitney on talking about how the pregame skate started because guys would go out drinking the night before and they needed to come up with a way where for about half an hour they would skate out all the booze from the night before and get their legs underneath them. Well, I'm not sure if the Bruins really went out drinking the night before, but they kind of played like it against the Philadelphia Flyers, a team that they usually come out fighting, and they did. Matt Bolesky had a huge hit in the first period, came out, fought, won that fight in an astounding manner. The pull on the left hand and the whoop-boop, right cross with, well, with the right hand, knocked out his man. But it was a 1-1 game throughout most of the matchup. And it looked like it was going to go into overtime. Drew Stafford got the puck in the neutral zone with less than 15 seconds to go. Brought it into the attacking zone on the right wing. Stopped at the half boards and without really any options decided I might as well throw the puck at the net. You hear it all the time during hockey broadcast. Throw the puck at the net, good things happen. Well, that's exactly what happened. He throws the puck on net, deflects off of a flyer's stick, and it goes into the back of the net. The Bruins go up 2-1 with 5.6 seconds and get the two points. And not only do they get the two points, but they deny the Flyers a single point. These are games, and that's the type of loss that the Bruins, it used to go against them. The type of win this year that used to be a loss in prior years with Claude Julien. Too many times was the game tied heading into the final minute. And not even the final minute, but the final 15, 20 seconds. And the Bruins would do something where the other team would get the puck, they'd skate it up ice, toss it on net, it would deflect off of some Bruins skate or head or shoulder or rump and whatnot, and it would find its way to the back of the net. And you would see the Tukarask, he'd hang his head high and do the turtle over thing. And it wouldn't be his fault, but the Bruins would end up losing a game. And when you miss the playoffs in two straight years by only a handful of points, those are the games that really come back to bite you in the derriere. And yet, all of a sudden, with Bruce Cassidy, the puck luck, which used to be so bad under Claude Julian, is now so good. They deserve to win that game. They were hard-hitting. Drew Stafford has eight points in his time with the Bruins, and... It's just, it's an entirely different team, and it's because it looks like, at least, and I've said it multiple times on this podcast, but it looks like they're having more fun than they have had in years. And when you look at guys like uh, Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand, it, it, it is so obvious, just they are scoring so many points right now. Brad Marchand is tied for fifth in the NHL in points. And while everybody else in the NHL, in, the, in the, that top five list, those guys, they're getting it done with power play goals in the top five if you take a look at it. Um, 
Brad Marchand, he let's see where where's the stat right here. Brad Marchand uh, is currently tied for fifth with Brent Burns in the NHL with 70 points. Connor McDavid leads with 75. But McDavid has 20 points on the power play, including 17 assists. Patrick Kane, 19 points on the power play, 6 and 13 his numbers. Sidney Crosby, 11 and 10. Evgeny Malkin, 12 and 10. Brett Burns is 7 and 14. Brad Marchand, when you take a look at the top five guys, is a 7 and 11. Brett Burns is 7 and 14. So Marchand, when you look at the top five guys in the NHL, you see power play points. He has the fewest amount of points from the top five. But when it comes to shorthanded, Brad Marchand has three goals and two assists. Nobody else in the top five. And in fact, nobody else in the top 11 has more than one point shorthanded. Brad Marchand is playing the best hockey of his career. And that's saying something because he now has two straight seasons of 30 goals. Marshan now is 32 and 38. He is tied for second in goals on the season, trailing only Sidney Crosby. And when you're trailing only Sidney Crosby, that's, excuse me, he's actually tied for third because Max Pacioretty has 33 goals. Sidney Crosby has 34. But Brad Marshan is playing the best offensive hockey of his career, but he's also playing some of the best defensive hockey. And when you have guys like Marchand who have bought into the system, and you have to give so much credit to Claude Julien because he had to deal with Marchand year after year and try to corral the crazy spirit of Marchand and say, look, every time you're not on the ice and you're doing these little ratty things, you are a detriment to the team. Now, yes, Brent Marchand and his penalty minutes, uh, he has 60 penalty minutes on the season. The only other person in the top 40 to have more penalty minutes than him this year is Ryan Kessler of Anaheim, who is 61, tied for 40th, as well as Nazem Kadri. Kadri has 81 points. So, yeah, Marshan is still the pesky little rat that he's always been with his 60 um, pa- uh, penalty minutes. Excuse me. Actually, I, I overlooked one. Uh, Evgeny Malkin has 77 penalty minutes, but Martian is getting the job done defensively. He is more than getting the job done offensively, and that's a good microcosm for how the Boston Bruins are playing in general. Everybody is buying in. They are playing for one another, and most impressively and importantly, they are playing a fun style of hockey, and it is translating onto the ice, and I do not think at all that is a, it is a coincidence that they're winning games like the 2-1 last six seconds of the game, the 2-1 victory against the Philadelphia Flyers, games that they used to lose in that exact manner. They are now winning. What used to be no points, it's now two points. And not surprisingly, the Bruins are climbing up the standings and right now have a stranglehold on a playoff spot, which is something a month ago people would have been laughing at you for saying. So uh, the Patriots, they're doing well, doing things unexpectedly. The Bruins as well are getting the job done in a manner that we haven't seen in years. And for the Boston Celtics, they're getting the job done in a manner we haven't seen, at least for this year, with the exception of any game against the Cleveland Cavaliers and against the Golden State Warriors. What I mean by that is that the Celtics are getting the job done defensively. 
they played host on Sunday, which as of this recording is yesterday. They played host to the Chicago Bulls, and the Bulls, oy, 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 they, they are not good. No, they are not. They put on the worst first quarter and the worst half of basketball I have seen, uh, I think, ever in the NBA. Just, it was so bad. They had 26 points at halftime. It was the lowest output by any NBA team in a half this season. And think about that. 26 points is a bad quarter. Not half. That's a bad quarter. The average NBA, uh, NBA team scores more than 100 points a game. The Bulls scored 26 points in a half. That is sad. And they were like one for their first 18, and they weren't even close. Some of the shots weren't close. And the the Celtics got the job done. They got the win after a poor and wacky West Coast trip where they went 2-3 and three beating the Golden State Warriors, yet losing to the Nuggets and the Suns in just, ugh, just awful. And the Clippers in games they should have won. Every game, with the exception of the Nuggets game, they should have won the Suns game. They should have won the Clippers game. They got run out of the arena by the Nuggets. It was just all weird, but they come back, and the cure for their disease was the Chicago Bulls. Isaiah Thomas didn't play at all in the fourth quarter. Avery Bradley played just 26 minutes. After his minutes restriction got lifted, um, Al Horford continued his solid play, and Right now, you've got guys like Jalen Brown, who he's really coming into his own. Marcus Smart was shooting 50% on the game until a couple of missed threes at the end of the fourth quarter. He had 12 points. And right now, this team is really just coming together nicely. They didn't have the best West Coast trip, but when the young guys, Marcus Smart, 22, Jalen Brown, last year was playing in college, only played one, the one and done, what are you going to do if you are an opponent of the Celtics and they decide to play defense? Their defense is that good. You have Jay Crowder, you have Avery Bradley, and you have Marcus Smart. You have three of the top 15 defenders in the NBA all on the same team. And everybody, and I wrote an article about this a couple of weeks ago, it seems like everybody has recency bias in the NBA when it comes to the Celtics. They think that Marcus Smart can't do anything offensively. He's one of the best low, plo, uh, low post players in the NBA, especially when Brad Stevens get a, gets him posted up against guards. Everybody thinks that Avery Bradley is incapable of doing anything offensively. He's the second leading scorer on the Celtics and is over 40% from the three-point line. He went three for three in the game against the Bulls. People are thinking that Jay Crowder, He's not all that reliable. Okay, Jay Crowders have his best percentages from the floor and from beyond the three-point arc in his career. Al Horford is the best passing center in the NBA statistically with more than four assists per game. What do you want? When the Celtics don't have Al Horford on the floor, they're awful. People don't like the way – I shouldn't say in the NBA. It's mostly New England. But people kind of – they take a look at – Al Horford's contract and say, oh, he's not playing that good. He's not playing up to the contract they gave him. Okay, you have the best passing center in the NBA. He's up to his uh, rebounds. Actually, his rebounds have dipped a little bit, not pretty much insignificantly compared to last year. 
He has upped his blocks. His defense in the paint is terrific. And all he's done is helped space the floor for Isaiah Thomas, who is the second leading scorer in the NBA. So what are you talking about when you say things like Al Horford isn't getting the job done? The win-loss record is astronomically better when Horford is on the floor and healthy. When he's not there, they're awful. When he's not there, they're a 500 team. When he's there, they're 20-6. and six. This is a good team. When they have the five uh, starters healthy, this is one of the best teams in the NBA. And everybody mentions how defenses get better in the NBA come playoff time. Okay. So is it everybody with the exception of the Celtics? Or is it also the Celtics? So is this Celtics defense, which people have been worried about, and rightfully so, all season long? Is it going to get better in the playoffs? I think it is. Are we going to see the type of defense that we saw against the Golden State Warriors? I think we are. Is the rebounding getting better? Oh, you betcha. Kelly Olynyk had nine rebounds in the last game. Since the All-Star break, Jay Crowder has put up double-digit rebounds in every other game. So the one thing I wanted, I've said this multiple times, that the Celtics needed a big man. Jay Crowder's kind of going, yeah, no, I got it. We got me. I'll grab 10 rebounds. I'll grab 11 rebounds every other game. How about that? Kelly Olynyk, he'll grab nine. Everybody will help out on the boards. Terry Rozier, he'll get the job done. Marcus Smart, he's a viper. He'll do whatever he needs to do to get this team a win. I mean, it's pretty simple. They're playing team basketball. When the Celtics play team basketball, they win. When the Celtics rebound, they win. When the Celtics play defense, they win. They're one of the best three-point shooting teams in the NBA. You combine that with good defense from everybody, from all five positions, even Isaiah Thomas, three steals against the Chicago Bulls. Three steals. After playing great defense against the Golden State Warriors. So, okay. What was the one detracting statement that everybody could say? Derogatory statement that everybody could say about Isaiah Thomas. Oh, he doesn't play defense. Guess what? Isaiah Thomas plays defense because defense is contagious. When Avery Bradley is healthy and he's taking down the leading scorer for the other team. When Marcus Smart is healthy, he's taking down the number two. When Jay Crowder is healthy, he's taking down the number three. And now Horford's holding his own in the paint, and then the second unit gets the job done. Unmasked Jonas Derebko, he can now shoot. He can rebound. He can do whatever you want. Jalen Brown, he's turned in. He's looking like the number three pick in the NBA draft. All right. So this team is doing exactly what they need. And with the way that the Cleveland Cavaliers, even though they just got Larry Sanders, with the way the Cavaliers are playing, that number one seed isn't out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, you have to beat the Washington Wizards, but the Celtics have uh, the most home games between those three teams. They play more teams under 500 than the Cavaliers and the Wizards heading into the last three weeks of the season. So, okay, give it to me. Give me the way that the Celtics are playing right now. Everything's great. Everything's awesome (laughs) for the Celtics. Yeah, I think I'm a little bit much on the green Kool-Aid there, but I don't care. I like the way they're playing. I watch every second of every game. And this is a team that can do some serious damage come playoff time. They have to get there, and I'm hoping for the two seed. There's a chance for the one. I won't hate the three seed, though. Give me that first round win, and we'll see what the Celtics can do if they've got some serious confidence heading into the playoffs. All right, so the Celtics are doing great. The Bruins are doing better than I ever thought possible a month ago. And right now, Bill Belichick and... The New England Patriots, (laughs) he's turned into William Money. I'm coming after you. I'm coming after your dog. I'm coming after your woman. I'm going to burn everything you love to the ground. And it's not about what you deserve. 
Mm-mm. Sometimes it's not about what you deserve. But that will do it for me here on Bagoon's Barrage, the State of New England podcast. Thank you once again for tuning in. I hope you stay warm and inside during the snowpocalypse if you can. If you can't, well, I hope your back stays strong as you shovel what could be between 12 and 18 inches of snow. And if you are listening to this in an area that doesn't get snow, eh, I kind of hate you right now. But, hey, that will do it for me here. Everything great is, everything is great here in the state of New England. And, well, go New England. See ya.